The reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Um, I keep um, records, I don't mean vinyl, uh, sort of a, a rec record on my computer of all the talks I've ever given, which has been over about 40 years, because I was preaching before I was ordained for quite a long time. And I don't know why, but this passage is the passage I've preached about more than any other. It's really random, isn't it? So it says something about Scripture, or more likely something about me. Um, so I'd like you to... It's an amazing passage, uh, those 12 verses. I'd like you just to begin by turning to the person, if you don't know their name, just find out their first name, and then tell them what you think your sermon might be. Uh, I'm not going to hold you to it, I'm just, but I bet you've got thoughts. You've probably heard lots of sermons about these wise men. Go on, what's it, what's it about for you? Okay, well, let's um, come into land a bit. How many of you would, if you were speaking, would say something about Herod? Okay, three, three hardcore. Okay. How many of you would have said something about the three gifts? Oh, a lot of people saying yes, but not putting their hands up. 
did you need the toilet? So, <laughs> I didn't say you had to put your hands up. I, I don't know what we're doing here, really. Um, but we've all got thoughts, and I, I just want to say, I may not have the best thoughts in the room, but I'm going to share them because I've got the mic. Um, so here's a few thoughts from this passage. Today is called epiphany. There's a Greek word that means revealing or revelation. So epiphan, so phanerosis, the sort of revealing, the unveiling of Jesus. Um, I do remember hearing someone reading that uh, passage that Hillary read a moment ago, and it said that Maggie came from the East. And that was a slightly different slant on it. <laughs> Hello, Maggie. And, yeah, well, you have come from the North, actually, haven't you, Maggie? But I think it's different. Um, so, Magi, wise, wise ones. What I love about it, they're searching for Jesus, and in some ways, Epiphany is the most inclusive of all Christian festivals. At Christmas, we remember, of course, Jesus who came to the poor, and the angels first went to the shepherds, the, those who were excluded. Physically, they were outside the boundaries of the, the towns because they were considered smelly and they were not actually welcome in temples and etc. Very humble people. And God chose the excluded ones, the poor. But Jesus came actually for all people of all cultures and all faith backgrounds, wherever they are in the world. Um, and at Epiphany, we see God drawing unlikely people to know, to love, and to worship His Son. I find it an extraordinary thing that God loves the people I find really irritating. I can't quite believe He does. It says in, in Romans, consider then the kindness and severity of God. And I find that true because God is much more, you know, serious about sin than I am. I can tolerate it quite happily and He can't. But he also loves people that I find I wouldn't forgive. He, in both directions, I'm not like him. And in Epiphany, we see Jesus being made known to those outside the usual circle of suspects because God loves them too. When the newborn Jesus is brought into the temple by Mary and Joseph, there's an old guy there called Simeon. And, of course, some people are an old guy, old lady. People are written off because of their age or their poverty or their lack of education or their race or their cult, whatever it is. But actually, this old dude is full of the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Spirit to encounter Jesus at that very moment. And he spontaneously bursts into song. And some of you might even know these words. Now, Lord, you let your servant go in peace. So, oh, I can die happy now. Uh, I, I can die happy because um, I've seen God's salvation. Your word has been fulfilled right now. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you've prepared in the sight of every people. Not just the Jews, every people a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus was a Jew. I know it's shocking that some Christians don't know that. It is actually true. He was a Jewish, he was a good Jewish boy who fulfilled all the law and the prophets. 
but he didn't come just for Jews. I'm so glad, as I'm a Gentile, I am especially glad that he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And it's fulfilling God's ancient promise through 700 years earlier, through Isaiah chapter 49. The Lord says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will make you also a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The long arm of the Lord. Uh, so I love that uh, picture that God says, you know, just uh, even though Israel's been destroyed as a nation and they're slaves somewhere else, I'm going to bring them back. But that's too easy peasy for me. I'm going to make it for the whole wide world, a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I wonder if there's people you think, God could never get them. They're just too hard. I can't remember if I've said it before, but it's popped into my mind. I was once praying in my last parish. There was some kids who were really hard. And in a prayer meeting, I just had, we'd been praying for our outreach, which wasn't going very well. And I kept having this picture of a nutcracker. I thought, I'm not going to say this. I just look really stupid. And then a braver woman said, I don't know, but I keep getting this picture of children being like nuts. I was like, oh, that's, that's actually very encouraging. And I really believe to the core of my being now, there is no human being who is, who is a nut that God cannot crack. He knows how to get into every head and every heart, sometimes through circumstances or dreams, or, or maybe you or me. It's not impossible. But God is up for it. He loves everyone. So the birth of Jesus makes this possible, and Epiphany is where we see the plan starting to be enacted. And the Magi, whose very name mean, is connected with the word magic, may have been Zoroastrians. They believed things we don't, and indeed they did things explicitly forbidden in Scripture. They were very naughty people, really. In their worldview, human destiny could be read from the movements of the stars. Yet God, in his grace, uses something they know about to bring them to meet his son. And I think Matthew includes them, just as Luke includes the shepherds, to show what kind of saviour Jesus is. Jesus gathers the most unlikely people into his circle of friends. And one of the insults leveled at Jesus in his adult ministry was he was the friend of sinners. That's why I'm here, not because I'm good, but because I do need a saviour who loves sinners. Um, and no matter how inclusive or wide our friendship groups, it's nothing compared with Jesus. He welcomes people. We find it really difficult to tolerate. Now, we're not saying, of course, anything goes, any religion, they all lead to God eventually. That's just plainly not true. Some uh, religions, and including some uh, iterations of Christianity, are cruel and pernicious and on the wrong side of the equation. But the point is, when these seekers from the East meet Jesus, they bow down and worship him. 
and the nations see their true king for whom they've waited and watched all their lives. So over the next three months, we're going to be exploring this theme, making Jesus known. That could start with, what do people need to know about Jesus? If you don't know the answer to that or would like to help someone who's asking those questions, do speak to Joe because he's running in two weeks' time. We're starting the Alpha course, and it's explicitly about that. What do we need to know about Jesus? How do we connect with him? Secondly, we might think, what are the qualities and the values of Jesus that people outside these walls haven't heard? I find I bump into people, and their understanding of Jesus is so different from mine they've never read the Bible, how, how would they know? Because the diet that's through the media is not positive always. Have you noticed this? But have you had a chat with your neighbours about Jesus? I, I thought I'd just put that in to make everyone feel bad. I, I'm assuming probably not a very intense one. Uh, you know, most of us, find we're not really confident always. So that would be another thing that we might be looking at. How, to, how can we grow in confidence, not smugness? I mean, I hate smug Christians. I mean, maybe I am smug, but I know I, I sometimes feel repelled by the, some presentations. It's just slick, and I don't think we need to be slick, but we could be coherent and thought out, but also compassionate in the way we share our faith. And in the light of that, what sort of church might we need to be for people to be able to discover the truth about Jesus? So, can I ask, has everyone got one of these cards? I hope you were given one on the way in. If, could you give me a wave if you haven't? There are spares at the back, so do just on the back table behind there, so uh, do grab one of those. That's what we're going to be thinking about, making Jesus known. It's the strap line for the Salisbury Diocese. So uh, the Church of England is divided up into 42 different dioceses. We're in the Diocese of uh, Salisbury. You've probably noticed there's a big building in the middle of town. Uh, cathedral comes from the Greek word cathedra. It's where the bishop has his chair, which is a cathedra. So we're connected with the diocese. And as a diocese, this is the strapline, making Jesus known. And I love the fact this isn't just our private thought. The whole diocese, every Anglican church in Salisbury Diocese is going for this. So there are some... How many of you have ever been in a church with um, smells and bells? How many of you Oh, you kept that quiet. So... How many of you have been in um, churches where predominantly music is led by an organ? Um, guitar, where you use hymn books. <laughs> We're all different. We have different preferences. How many of you would prefer it if Mary and Joe and I wore robes? <laughs> Two hands there. I'll get you. Uh, I, I do not care. I do not care. I, I often, when I go to St. Lawrence and leave there, it makes sense there. 
It's irrelevant. It's all, there's so much periphery stuff that we choke on when the good stuff is who is Jesus. And this vision statement is saying making Jesus known, whatever your preference is in styles of worship, how you dress, all of that is secondary to people getting to know Jesus. So that's our whole strap line, whatever our tradition of worship, we're trying to make Jesus known. And to that end, you'll see uh, there's a fish in the middle. Uh, that was an early Christian symbol you probably know of following Jesus as an acronym, ICTHUS. Uh, there's five priorities identified. So the first thing is courageous Christian leadership. So that hopefully includes clergy, but it's bigger than that. We've got a Christian MP. There's teachers, there's police, there's people in all sorts of leadership. We live in such a fast-changing, complicated world, we actually need really strong and courageous and wise leaders. Do you notice so much in politics, and actually in church politics, is short-term rather than strategic? It needs to be bold thinking, but People think, oh, this is a bold idea, but we'll never get re-elected, and so it'll never happen. And so things are constantly watered down, and it happens in churches, but it especially happens in local and national government. Because we want people who we can blame, but we are scared of appointing people who are actually going to impact our lives too painfully, even if it's the right thing. You know, and they know that, and we know that. If you ever want to pray for me, and I hope you will, nice things, two things really, wisdom. Because I often just don't know what to do. It's beyond my pay grade. Some, you know, it's not between good and bad. It's often between bad and bad or good and good. So wisdom is knowing how does God see this? That's what prophecy is, speaking into how does God see the world or the church or our lives. But the second thing is courage which uh, core is the French word for heart, Coeur de Lion, Richard the Lion Heart. So if we've got hearts shaped by Jesus, we can become courageous and lead well and wisely. So please pray for me, wisdom and courage. So that's the first priority. And of course, you're all leaders. You're leading your lives, hopefully, rather than just drifting randomly through it and it happening to you you don't have to be passive in your own life we can make choices so we're all leaders and uh, we need to be courageous secondly working for justice can i ask how many of you saw um some of mr bates versus the post office this week well, can i say it was I, I got an email from a member of our church saying i should watch it I don't often have emails telling me to watch more television. But it was absolutely, well, harrowing, uh, incredibly moving. And it made me really angry. I knew some of the stuff, but uh, not everything in it. It made me think of Isaiah 61, verse 8. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. And unquestionably, the post office management... Fujitsu Horizon and the government have been knowingly unjust for
for over 18 years. And it's terrible, but I didn't really understand. And the other thing is, it's not always because people are so unpleasant and horrible. It's sort of institutional, it's organizational wickedness. And that makes people who are involved in it not know how to change it. And those of us who are victims not know what, oh, I can't do anything, it's all hopeless. And in so many big problems, we go from denial, there's not a problem, to despair. Well, there's nothing I can do. And Jesus calls us to stay in the center ground. There is a problem, and we can do something about it. So, working for justice, that's something Jesus cares about. So, what difference does it make us gathering here to people outside who are living in institutional poverty or patterns of behavior, actually, that are, they're the product of other people's sin? You know, and if we're, we could be really happy having a lovely time of worship, but God won't be if it's not making a difference in the world. I'm not guessing at you, I'm guessing at me, really. If it's a problem, it's my fault. It's our fault. We don't know how to do it always. So working for justice, because God cares about it. Thirdly, creative partnerships in local mission. So often churches do a Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. It's my way or the highway. You know, it's got to be, we're very protective of the way we do stuff. And I've, I've been there, I've been like that. Churches so often duplicate or work in competition with each other rather than as partners together. And it's crazy. I'm so glad that every uh, once a month uh, we have a prayer meeting here for different Christian leaders from different streams um, and churches, uh, and then we meet together because it builds trust so that we can have genuine partnerships. I'm looking forward to Easter when we have a, a united worship at Old Serum, six o'clock in the morning. It is its own punishment, but just being with other Christians is such a joy because I know, oh yes, we are the same team. There's only one church, and that's the one that Jesus died for and was risen for and calls to himself. So some things we can do better alone, but some things we could do better together. That's what we're trying to model in this church uh, by being this St. Lawrence, this Hope Church. Sometimes we get together because we can be more effective together, but some stuff we do better apart. That's fine, but being truthful about that. How many of you instinctively love to work with other people because it's much easier working with other people. Anyone in the Okay, the tiny number. How many of you know it's way easier not to bother trying to do that, working by yourself? If you want it done, you just do it yourself. So some of you might be really good, and if you are naturally empathetic and open to others, but I find it slows me down. So I rather make um, a hash of it, but it was my hash rather than involve other people. Oh, people. They've got other ideas. It's like they've got a mind of their own. They're so selfish, you know. And so it messes us up. And so often we can be fixated with, this is the outcome. We want this. And I wonder if God is saying, actually, if they could learn to love each other, even if they completely mess it up, I'll be pretty happy. 
because they've, they've grown in the qualities that matter most to me. So how can we cultivate creative partnerships, working with other churches, but also other agencies, whether they believe in God or not? If they're on the side of the kingdom, how can we partner with them? Um, one of the most moving things that just pops into my mind to say uh, over Christmas, I noticed I, I did 15 different nativity services, which was really fun. I feel I know the story so well now. Um, but one of them was in the women's refuge, and for me that was a, a holy place. It was so precious. I was so glad to be partnering with them. And yet it's harder work because they wanted it done as they wanted it. So that's a challenge for all of us probably. And then fourthly, championing climate justice. The church, of course, has been quite late to the party at times. Uh, instead, we're listening to the prophetic voices outside the church, um, St. Greta of Thunberg and uh, Sir David Attenborough. And, and, but these are voices that are getting purchased hugely in the world. And yet, as Christians, we should believe Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And sometimes our eschatology, what we think of the end of the world, messes up how we treat the world. Because we think, oh, it's all going to be destroyed in fire. Who cares? We'll get a better new heaven and earth. That is bad theology. It's just not true. God loves it. It's his world. And we're to be wise stewards of what he's given to us. So I'm feeling quite smug. Uh, Sue and I changed our energy supplies, so we're now 100% renewable. Because they were the cheapest. <laughs> I don't know if I'd have made that. No, I, th I like to think I would have made. But um, it was so easy. Now, that's not going to change the world, I recognize. But if all of us bring our collective money to uh, sort of political equations, it will make a difference. So how can we organize ourselves better uh, to make a difference? And finally, financing the future sustainably. Um, the church of the present is to still to quite a significant extent living off the church of the past that gave generously. So Salisbury Diocese, and I'm very glad about it, has historic assets. Some modern dioceses of modern, so they have no historic assets, and so they're in a much worse financial situation. But even Salisbury, the blessed leafy Salisbury, is running a huge budget deficit this year. I won't mention that it's 1.5 million pounds. It's not sustainable on this basis. Now, I, you know, oh, where's that one and a half million? can't remember where I put it. You know, it's not going to be fixed by one person. It's fixed by everyone saying, actually, I, want, I believe in the kingdom of God, and I believe that this church could be part of the answer under God. And as we all step forward, uh, then things can be changed. Can I say, though, I recognize no one likes hearing sermons about giving more money, because everyone looks so miserable. And those of us preaching also look miserable because we're not enjoying doing it. It's sort of embarrassing. But Jesus said that giving generously is a normal part of being his follower. So we will do it. We haven't spoken about it for two years. So, I mean, you can miss that Sunday. We'll 
but we'll spring it on you so you're not expecting. But you know, that's part of this agenda. If we want the kingdom of God to come, Jesus cares about our money. Now, on the other side of this um, little postcard, you'll see um, a quotation from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to people in prison, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. It's about injustice to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, we read in Luke uh, that Jesus, for his very first sermon, asked for the scroll of Isaiah. He was reading his Isaiah, and he thought, this is about me. He chose to open it at this very passage and uh, preaches from it. So, this is his very first sermon that he wants everyone impacted by the kingdom of God. And then in Luke 4.21, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The kingdom of God is not some ethereal or imaginary world when we die. It's today. Paul says, today is the day of salvation. It's about here and now. And so that's why the diocesan vision at the top there on the back is to make Jesus Christ known in every place so that all might flourish and grow, seeking his kingdom here and now. Here and now. So over the next three months, we're going to dive into these themes, and I think it will be fun and unsettling and encouraging and challenging for all of us. But I believe that if we engage well with this, there could be really good fruit to benefit not only us, but the world which God still owns and loves. And there'll be tangible evidence of us being salt and light in making Jesus known. So, that's the agenda we're going to be looking at, and I I hope you feel uh, some uh, excitement about this. It's going to be, how do we grow into being the people that make a difference in the world? Because if we just leave this building and Salisbury is unchanged, it hasn't really worked according to God's criteria of what the church of his church is about to be.